All right, a little bit better than last week. I thought we'd do a little, little test here, a little game uh, to get started, just see where we're all at. If you have 75% of your Christmas shopping done, 75% or more, why don't you stand up in pride, okay? And stay up, okay? Stay up. All right. Wow, a lot of you, okay? Now, the rest of us can either applaud them or boo them, whatever you want to do, all right? Okay, you can have a seat. Congratulations. Now, watch this. Dude, if you ain't even started yet, would you stand up? Stand up, okay. All right, these people need prayer, big time. All right, man, we're so glad that you're here. Thanks for coming out and being with us on Christmas month here at Eastside. Some of you will remember, if you're kind of a sports-minded person, a number of years ago, Baylor University was having a terrible uh, football year. Man, they were, they were horrible, and things weren't going well at all, and the heat, was really starting to come down on the head coach. And he was getting criticism on the airwaves and I mean all over, and so the heat was really getting big. And we kinda know a little bit about that around this area, okay? Whether you're red or blue or crimson, we kinda have high standards for our teams. And when our coaches aren't producing the Ws, we kinda lose our mind a little bit too. So that was happening at Baylor. And the coach was just really catching it all. And one day he came to work and he went into the office of one of his assistants. And he said to him, I think you and I just got to get away for a while, man. We got we to get out of here for a little bit and get away from the heat. And he goes, I know an old farmer who will let us go hunting on his land. So let's just go. Let's go hunting. I think maybe killing something will do us both good today. And so they go, they go hunting. And they drive out in the country to this farmer's house. And when they get there, the head coach says to his assistant, you stay here in the truck. I'm going to go in there and let him know we're here. And so he goes up and he knocks on the door. Farmer comes to the door. And uh, the farmer says, oh, man, I'm glad you're here. Enjoy yourself. And don't just don't listen to all that stuff, man. You're doing good. Hang in there. You're going to be all right. And so the coach goes back into the truck, get his assistant. And he thinks, I'm going to play a trick on the guy. And so he looks at his assistant and says, you're not going to believe what that guy told me. He told me I was the worst coach in the history of Baylor University. I can't believe it. And when he was up talking to the farmer and the farmer was building him up, the farmer said to him, hey, while you're here, I got a mule out in the backyard that is on his lap. I don't have the heart to put him down. While you're here, would you put him down? And the coach is telling his assistant, making it up, that this guy was telling me how horrible it was. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I saw a mule in his backyard. I'm going to go back here and kill his mule. He'll regret the day he ever even talked to me. And the coach went back there with a gun. Bam! Mule was down. And right when the mule fell, he heard two more gunshots. And he looked over, and there was his assistant running to the truck yelling, I just got two of his cows. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Everybody needs a buddy like that assistant. Everybody. And I'm going to show you today in the Bible that God wants you to have that. We're in this um, 
I think it's a really unique approach to Christmas in our teaching this month because what we're talking about is this idea of what I introduced last week is Christmas. And the idea is that what happened to a lot of the people in the original Christmas story, those things likely will happen to us. And so we've kind of taken this idea of Christmas and what are the things that happen to those people. And so last week we kind of put our microscope on Mary, on the kingdom calling in her life, and we talked about how that applies to those of us in this room. Now today, I want to put our focus on John the Baptist. And if you're a Bible person in the room right now, you're going, Hastings has finally lost his mind. Because John the Baptist is not part of the Christmas story. You probably don't have John the Baptist ornament hanging on your tree, do you? You probably don't have a manger scene in the living room and John the Baptist is there. You probably don't have that. Because most people think John the Baptist was not part of the Christmas story at all. And we're going to find out today in this study is, oh no, friend, he was a significant person in the story. Watch, don't miss this, because he was one of Jesus's best buddies. Now, it's interesting when you think about that, because if you've never figured this out about Jesus, is that he was a people person. Of all the things that I love about our Lord, I love the fact that he loved people. He loved being with people. I don't know if you've had any opportunity to watch any of the episodes of The Chosen. Man, I hope you can fit those into your schedule sometime. And they do an incredibly good job in depicting Jesus as just being with people and being so personable with people. He loved people. He hung out with them, he, he laughed with them, he cried with them, he talked with them, he joked with them. Did you know Jesus told jokes? Hey, did you ever hear the, the parable that he told where he was talking about these different people who were making excuses on why they couldn't follow him? And one of the people that he called out, he said, that guy just got married and he's got to go ask his wife whether or not he could come along with me, okay? In today's world, Jesus would say, what a weenie, what a wimp. And he was that kind of a guy. He loved to laugh. He loved being with people. It was just who he was. As you read through the gospel accounts, it becomes very apparent that Jesus was a friend to a lot of people. And a lot of people were a friend to him. And I want to take you through a, a quick little rundown that you can just see all the very important personal relationships that Jesus had with people. And I want that to kind of resonate with you, and you're going to see at the end of our message why it's so important. But sometimes we put him up on a pedestal and out in the clouds somewhere, and we view him as this, you know, all-encompassing, powerful, unapproachable God. Man, I'm telling you, he just loved people. Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were among his best friends on earth. 
If you had to say Jesus, did he have anybody that was really tight with, it was this family right here. You know, the Bible only depicts Jesus crying one time. Anybody know when it was? When Lazarus died. He cried and broke his heart when his buddy died. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were some of his best friends. He also was very, very close to the 12 disciples that followed him in his life. And so he was very close to those, those dozen men. And he, he was with them for three and a half years. And I want you to kind of think about that again if you're a, you're a sports type person. Sometimes we see that with, with high school kids. Sometimes college kids, often more high school nowadays. And, and so high school kids, maybe they get on the same team and they're, they're together for four years. And they're practicing together and they're going to school together and they're playing games together. And at the end of that high school experience, those, those guys and those gals, man, they have an incredible bond with each other that sometimes lasts for the rest of their life. And that's what Jesus had with these 12 guys. Very, very personable, incredible, intimate friendships that he had with them. Now, some of y'all know that among the 12, this rascal was there, Judas Iscariot. And it's interesting when you think about this, when we're considering the friends of Jesus, that Judas was also in the group for more than three years, which tells you something about Jesus that I want to rock you a little bit. That he had the ability to be a friend to someone who would not be a friend to him. That's big. That's a trait that most of us don't have, that if it doesn't reciprocate back, we don't have anything to do with those people, do we? Not him. Jesus was even friendly to Judas Iscariot. There were three of the 12 guys. If you know this, this is kind of an interesting thing in the Bible, but it's good for a trivia question sometime. There were three of the 12 who were really close to him. And they were Peter and James and John. And you'll often find when you're reading through the Bible that Jesus was going to experience something or he was going to teach something and he would take those three and he would pull them out of the group and they would kind of have their own side thing together. He was very, very close in an inner circle with these three guys. And of those three, John was the one who was probably the closest to Jesus. Anyway, John thought he was. If you've ever read the Gospel of John, John often writes about himself, and he refers to himself as this, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he probably said that kind of as a slap to the other 11. Oh, you think he likes you, but I'm the guy, okay? He really likes me. But there was something about John that Jesus would consider him his very best friend. And so you have all these situations when you're reading through the Bible where Jesus just hung out with people. And I want that to hit you because it's gonna make sense when we're done here is that he had incredible relationships with people. Now of the people that would fit in to his friendships, the connections he had, was John the Baptist. Now there's an interesting thing about John the Baptist. That is not John the disciple. Those were two different people. 
John the disciple was one of the 12 who went around with Jesus, who wrote the book of John in the Bible. That's not who we're talking here. We're talking John the Baptist. And what I want to show you is that John the Baptist was a central character in the Christmas story because John the Baptist and Jesus were born about six months apart. So they were about the same age, and I want to take you through a a real quick show in Scripture to show you why they were so tight being of the same age. Now, let me show you several things in the Bible. Number one, I want you to understand this about John the Baptist and Jesus. Their moms were relatives. And we talked about that last week. We just kind of hinted at it a little bit because when Mary was given the announcement by Gabriel that she was going to be pregnant, that we find out in that announcement that Mary's relative, Elizabeth, was already pregnant. Look at this verse that talks about that from Luke chapter one. Gabriel said, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. So the question often is asked, what relation was Mary and Elizabeth? We don't know. Many scholars have tried to figure that out through the years, and the best we can come up with is they probably were cousins. But even that is just a best guess that we have. But we know that they were related to each other. And so because they were related to each other, obviously Jesus and John the Baptist were related. They probably were cousins. And so I'm trying to present the idea in the Bible that Jesus was a people person and one of the people closest to him personally was John the Baptist because they were cousins. Now, some of y'all are thinking this right now. I am. I got some cousins that are crazy. I don't ever want to be around them. Amen in the house of God, okay? So is that the case here? I want to suggest that was not the case here. I want to suggest that Mary and Elizabeth and their families, including Jesus and John the Baptist, were a very tight, close family. Here's why I know. Because as soon as Mary heard that she was pregnant, she got to tell somebody. And who's the first person that she wanted to tell? She wanted to tell Elizabeth. And so she takes off to tell Elizabeth. You would think she had a conversation with Joseph. And although surely that happened, when Luke told the story, he never mentioned anything about Joseph. He just said, Mary said, I'm gonna go tell Elizabeth. Look how it writes that in the text of Luke's gospel. At that time, in other words, when Gabriel made the announcement, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Ladies, if you're in the room right now and you've ever experienced uh, pregnancy and the very first person you told was a very important person to you. And so Mary had a tight relationship with Elizabeth. I I love it how, how Luke intentionally said, hurried to her house. There was no delay. If it would have been done today, 
She would have sent the text before Gabriel was back up in the clouds. Girl, you ain't gonna believe what just happened. She hurried to Elizabeth. Why would she hurry? Because their families were so tight together. And so when you've got two ladies related who are incredibly tight with each other, what is the assumption? That their children also are going to be very close to each other. When I was studying through this account, I found something a little bit funny to me, probably because I'm a, you know, a stupid man, okay? I'm a male, but this is funny to me. Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house, and Mary has just conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's just heard this. Elizabeth is about six months along. That's important, okay? That's important. And so the Bible says when Mary walked into the house, that the baby inside Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, she's six months pregnant, that the baby leaped for joy. That's what it says. If you look at Luke chapter one, verse 41, it actually says it two times. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. If we go to verse 44, it says it again. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Elizabeth told Mary, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now I have a resident gynecologist who's a friend of mine. So I checked on this. And he said that babies begin to move usually around four months. They start kicking and they start positioning and moving a little bit, okay? So here, John the Baptist is at six months. So it's very natural for him to be moving in the womb. But Luke doesn't say that. Luke said he leaped. That word, and again, I'm a sick man. That's all it is. But that word eventually morphed into the word that you and I use for skip. This baby wasn't kicking. This baby wasn't turning. This baby was playing hopscotch inside. And why was that? Why was that? Now I get it. I get it. It's a Holy Spirit thing, man. The Holy Spirit entered John the Baptist six months in conception and said, the presence of the Lord is in the house. I get all that, but I think there might be something more. There might be something about these two guys are going to be in incredible intimate relationship and friendship support of each other. So as we start to see these men grow up into adults, we find the same thing happening. Now they're adults, and John the Baptist begins preaching, and his message is to get ready for somebody greater than me. And you may have heard some of the words that John the Baptist would use for that. Check out how it's described for us by Matthew. John the Baptist said, now after me, somebody's gonna come who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even fit to carry his shoes. Has anybody said that about you? Now, it might not be in those words, but have you ever had somebody, because you probably have, somebody who lifted you up, somebody who believed in you, 
somebody who boasted about you to other people, somebody who said to you, you're good and you can even be better. Has anybody ever had that view to you? And that's what John the Baptist's view was for Jesus. He thought so much of him in relationship that he built up the Lord so people would get ready for the coming of the Messiah. Now it's interesting that Jesus had the same view about John the Baptist. So when Jesus begins his ministry, you know the first thing he did, he got baptized. And so when he was thinking, I'm gonna get baptized, who do I want to baptize me? He wanted John to baptize him. And so we see just in three verses later, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And so we see it before these guys were even born. And we find it out throughout the totality of their life as adults. We're talking about a very important human relationship, friendship between these two guys. Many of you know the story toward the end of their lives. And the Bible tells us in an absolutely wretched, horrific account of the death of John the Baptist by the man named Herod, decapitated him. I mean, what kind of death could even come close to that kind of a, a horror and a, and a fear? And John the Baptist was murdered by Herod. Matthew tells us this little verse. He just kind of sneaks it into his account about Jesus then. I want you to see this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. His heart was broke that his friend died. Have you ever been so broken you just, you just got to be alone? Huh? I just need my space for a little bit. And that's where Jesus was because his friendship with John the Baptist was so important that he just could not believe that they did that to him. Some of you know how that story begins to end because not too much later, when Jesus is going through the, the trials that he has the night before he died, and many of you know the story, they arrest him, and he has to go through all the Roman trials first in the middle of the night, and all the, or, or excuse me, all the Jewish trials, and all the, the Jewish leaders are convicting him, and then they turn him over to the Romans. And then he's got to go through all the Roman trials in the middle of the night. And you know, one of the people who interrogated him was Herod, the man that killed John the Baptist. Now listen to this. If you don't know about this Bible, it's, it's an incredible thing. When you read about the interrogation of Herod to Jesus before they killed him, I want you to see this verse. Herod plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. I want you to hear this. In every trial and in every interrogation the night before he died, Jesus answered their questions. He made comments. But in front of Herod, he never said a word to him. But you know his mind was racing. You're the guy that killed my friend. And I will not grace you with my voice. So what do we know about Jesus and John the Baptist? 
is there was a bond there. A bond that began before both of them were even born. And so when you take that concept and understand that today as part of the Christmas story in a way that you've probably never considered about this relationship between these two men, what are we being taught there by God? What we're being taught by the Father through all of these passages of Scripture is that before he was even born, we were being told that life with Jesus, make sure you catch this, life with Jesus is best lived in community with other people who are following life with Jesus. The Christians are supposed to be in community with each other. That we are not supposed to live our Christian lives alone. That God designed it for us to be together. And if our leader understood that, Jesus, then his followers should understand that as well. And so if I've got one thing to say to you this week about the Christmas story is that God created you as a follower of Jesus to have relationship with other people who follow Jesus and to make that a priority in your life. When I wrote this message, I did a lot of the study of the verses and a lot of the history stuff and I'd kind of written that all over and I had it on note cards all over my desk and I'd been typing some of it and I intentionally stopped right here and I actually have this in my notes right here. And I stopped right here and I turned the lights off in my office and I shut my door and locked it and I got over in a corner in my office and I got all alone and all quiet and I started thinking about the blessing that me and my wife Susan have had for so many years about relationships that we've had with other people who know Jesus. And my mind just started racing through all of those different people. And some of you are in that, that mind of mine, just racing through. And I started thinking about who I would be today and where I would be if none of those were a part of my story. And I wouldn't be anywhere where I'm at today because God designed us to have those relationships with each other. I remember about the second sermon that I ever preached after we had moved down here to this part of the country. And I'd preached about my second uh, sermon at this church. We didn't know anybody at all. It was the first time being really far away from our parents and our homes. We had two little kids and Susan was about 17 months pregnant with the third one. And man, we were just kind of sad and lonely and did we do the right thing? And I'd preached one Sunday and an older couple came up to the front after church and they looked at me and they said, I imagine they were probably in their late 50s. You know, I was a young kid. You're in your 50s, man. We thought you were really old now. And they came up to me and they said, we 
are now your children's grandparents. We know they got grandparents back home, but kids need grandparents every day, and we are now your children's grandparents. I thought that was really freaky and kind of creepy and weird, and now as I look back, those people became some of the best relationships we've ever had in all of our life. He was an elder in that church, and he put his arm around me many, many times to encourage me and pray with me and and give me counsel and sometimes to correct me. She was a homemaker, and, and she helped Susan think through things like baking and entertaining people in the home. And we look back and, and just see how their family developed us as a family. And, and for our kids, they became grandmommy and granddaddy. And my adult kids now, in their 30s, still refer to them grandmommy and granddaddy. I remember one of the things granddaddy used to do for my kids is on Christmas morning, it's a little weird for, for, uh, for preachers because we usually live away from our families. And so we'd get up early in the morning and we, we would do Santa Claus and the presents and then we'd get everything all packed up and then we'd drive to our families. And what granddaddy did was he heard about that and he said, give me an idea about what time you're done with the presents and I'm coming over to the house and I'm gonna give the kids presents for me and grandmommy. And they did that for years. I remember one year he came into the house and the place was crazy disaster because of all the presents and granddaddy came in and he got the kids together and they were just little kids and he said, okay boys, today your present is money and he opened up his pocket. He had a wad of cash. I was like, where'd he get this? It turned out it was $151 bills and he got the kids together and he said, I'm gonna throw it up and then you guys fight for it, whatever you get, you get. And he threw it up, and my kids, if you ever see my kids, man, it was near death, okay? They were fighting and grabbing, and it was all over with. He made them lay them out, and so everybody got 50 together, okay? And so granddaddy did that every year. I remember one year he showed up, and he came in right after Christmas, and our kids were excited, you know, oh, here it is. And he sat down on the couch, and I'll never forget, I think it was one of the most touching moments we've ever had in our home. And he sat on the couch, and he got the kids, got all three boys, and he put them on his lap, and he put his arm around them, and they were like, this is it. And he told them a story about a little girl who had gotten sick. And he said, she's really, really sick, and her mommy and daddy are trying to take care of her, and it's really expensive, and me and grandmommy decided that we were gonna take all the money that we use for presents this year, and we're gonna give it to that family to help them, and so nobody's getting presents this year. And he put his arm around him and said, so you guys okay with that? And they all said, yeah. And they prayed together for that little girl. And then granddaddy left. And I'll never forget it. I remember the kids walking up the stairwell after that, after he had left. And I heard one of them say, sure, I'm glad mom and dad got us something. So they weren't all mature about it. I think back about times like that in relationships that I've had in my life and you've had in your life and see how God 
uses personal relationships to shape you. He does that. That's his plan. And he described it for us before Jesus ever showed up on the earth. He said, this has got to be a part of what you do. It's got to be a part of your journey. And so I want to give you two takeaways this weekend. I'm going to explain them really quick. But I want to encourage you that you make sure these takeaways are a part of your life. They're designed by God to keep you in the faith and to shape you in the faith. And the first thing that I want to challenge you to do is I want to challenge you to get you a crowd. All of us need the crowd. The crowd is the church. That's all of us. It's the, it's the family at large. And anybody who follows Jesus has to have a crowd. you got to have a crowd. And you might say, well, I don't know everybody's name. Why don't you listen to this? That doesn't matter. It just matters that all of us know his name. And that's what makes us a crowd. And I can't begin to describe, because I don't know how to describe it, that your connection with the crowd will manifest itself in your soul in a way that you can never get in any other way. That's why God says in his Bible, do not neglect being with the crowd. And so what you're doing right now Although you might have had a million things on your plate you could be doing at this moment, what you're doing right now with the crowd is one of the most significant things you could ever do in your faith with Jesus Christ. He's designed us to have a crowd. I also wanna encourage you to get you a circle. And a circle is something that everybody needs. Those are the people in the crowd that you do know their name. Those are the people who you can call in the middle of the night. Those are the people that you can have dinner with. Those are the people you can trust with your kids. Those are the people you can tell your secrets. Everybody needs a circle. And when you open up your Bible and find the times where there are dozens of them where relational advice is given, Love one another, be patient with one another, be devoted with one another, forgive one another, enjoy one another. All of those concepts in the Bible are directed to our relationships in the circle. And why is that? Because the circle will help you maintain your faith and grow in your faith. So here's the message on this weekend that I wanted you to see. That if we go back to the Christmas story, we are told before he was even born, relationships are critical. And so find yourself a crowd and find yourself a circle. Now before you leave, I want to I tell you how um, that was reminded to me personally a couple weekends ago. All of you know that I'm a Louisville Cardinal fan. And that makes some of us friends and others of you pray for my soul, okay? But I'm a Louisville Cardinal fan. 
And our team, a couple weeks ago, was playing for a conference football championship. And many of you know that. If you don't know that, then God help you. Maybe you'll straighten things out next year. But, but we, were, we were part of that, and that's a big deal for our, our team. And uh, some of you know that my wife's been kind of pretty busy lately caring for her mama. And so she was going to be gone that weekend uh, up in Illinois taking care of her mama. And I, I couldn't go that weekend. I had a funeral and I was preaching. And so I said, baby, you go be the awesome daughter you are to your mama. And I'll be fine. I'll order me a pizza. And I'll watch the game on TV on Saturday night. Now, what I didn't know that I found out that week was that the service that I get inside my house that provides a TV signal for some reason, they were having a contract dispute with the place that provided the game, and bottom line, wasn't gonna be on my TV. And so now I'm really kind of freaking out about that. I said, no problem. I'll find me a restaurant somewhere, and I'll go sit and watch the game at a restaurant all by myself. I'm gonna go take care of that and have a good time. And that was a little bit out of my comfort zone. It's Saturday, eight o'clock. I knew, man, I'm probably not gonna get home till after midnight. And Saturdays, I like to kind of get in the zone of church and preaching. And I thought, you know, it's okay. One time, it'll be cool. So I go to this restaurant. I'm not going to tell you which one it was. It has sports TVs all over the place. So I thought, okay, they'll have the game there. And uh, don't want to throw them under the bus. I'm not going to tell you who it was. Um, they, they, their name is similar to an adult male chicken. But I'm not going to tell you where I was. So uh, <coughs> we had one of them in Clarksville burned down later, but, but anyway. <laughs> so, so I go to this place <laughs> that's by my house, and I'm all by myself, and I'm a, I'm, I am the lead pastor of a mega church. And I got there early because I figured there were going to be a gazillion people there because of the TV thing. There's a gazillion and three people there. And I got, I got there at 6.30 and I had to wait on a, a table. And they finally came and said, we got a table for you about 7 o'clock. And the only table we got is uh, right next to the bar. That's all we got. Now, I don't want you to think I bellied up to the bar all night long. But I thought, well, if that's all you got, that's what you got. So I, I go sit down at this table and uh, you've all been there. I'm, I'm not in the bar, but I'm in the bar here. You, you know what I'm talking about. There's a gazillion people there. And I feel totally out of place because as I'm looking around and listening to people, I am calculating how many of those people I think are going to be in church the next morning. <laughs> I did not identify many, okay? And I'm here. And I had my iPad with my sermon on it, and the game didn't start for an hour, so I opened up my iPad, and I am memorizing my sermon in the midst of a den of iniquity, okay? And so here I'm reading my sermon. You'd have been so proud of your preacher to see that. So I'm sitting there, and I'm there all night. I'm texting my wife, are you still there? You've been there for four hours, be quiet. And so I'm just, I'm having a good time. And the game starts, it was a wonderful game, didn't turn out the way we wanted, but man, it was a fun game to watch. And I mean, the place is crazy. They're out of control, they're yelling and screaming and going wild. And I find myself right in the middle of it, man. I'm going nuts and yelling and screaming. And about 99 and a half percent 
of everybody there was a Louisville Cardinal fan. And the reason I say 99 and a half is there was one dude decked out in Florida State gear from head to toe. He was big and he was loud and he was filthy and he was obnoxious and he was stupid. And uh, you know the game didn't go so well for us. And this guy, instead of rooting for his team in the midst of enemy territory, this guy was yelling, he was standing up, he was, he was screaming things like, take that, Loserville! And I mean, this guy was out of control. And there were some people that weren't happy. And man, it started going back and forth. I'm just sitting there reading my sermon, leave it alone. And, and uh, I'm thinking, it's about to go down. They're going to they're gonna do something to this guy. And I mean, they're coming at him and he's coming back. And there's a, two guys sitting right next to me and they're in it. And, you know, I just blame it on the devil because I started jumping in on it. I, I told him, you get him from behind, I'll slap him in the front of the face with my iPad. Got my sermon in it. Holy Spirit power. And so, so all that's going on, and it's about 11.30 at night, and I got to preach in about nine and a half hours, and I'm going, what in the world am I doing? And I hear this, Dave! <laughs> and I turn around, and there's a family who'd been eating on the other side of the restaurant who are part of my crowd. They're in my circle. And they said, <laughs> what in the world are you doing? Because what do you think I'm doing on Saturday night at 1130? Y'all probably think, oh, he's in bread. He's been fasting and praying for about five hours. And, you know, just holy in the spirit. And I'm at a bar area screaming about to fight a guy who's probably going to kill me. And I said, you know, I told her the whole TV thing. And I told him, you know, Susan's with her mom and all that. We kind of, oh, all right, cool, cool, cool. And, um, and so they left. And then on uh, Monday morning, uh, my wife got a text from the lady in that family. Her name's Leslie. And the text said, uh, we ran into Dave at Rooster's. Oh, I wasn't going to <laughs> Okay. So the cat's out of the bag. We ran into Dave at Rooster's, and he told us about your mom. And I'm delivering you guys your dinner tonight. And so we're sitting at our dinner table at home that night. We're eating a delicious home-cooked meal from somebody in our crowd, somebody in our circle. And my mind goes to the Florida State guy. And this is what I thought. His team was better than my team. But my crowd is better than his. So find yourself a crowd. And go get you a circle. And see what God will do with that. Father, I thank you for the beauty of your word and so many 
wonderful concepts come up when we dive ourselves into it. I don't think any of us, including me, would have ever thought that John the Baptist had such a big part of the Christmas story. But I thank you for our crowd here. I thank you for this place. And I thank you for all the circles that exist that care for people and hold people and love people. I thank you most of all that you told us, don't do this alone. So anybody needs a crowd? Anybody needs a circle? Would you please lead them toward that? In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.